Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. It's a natural thing for us to all think that, um, okay, I forget. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about hurt. Yes, I have hurt. Yes, I'm going to forgive. Yes, I had that moment where I prayed and said, okay, God, help me forgive him. I forgive him. And then later on, you have another, you, you're not replaying the scenario in your mind. You're leaving it at the foot of the cross. You're not going to, you know, relive it to keep the wound open. But after that, what happens? After you've had the moment where you've said, I forgive, after you've turned off the repeat episodes that are replaying over and over like a Netflix binge, after you turn those things off, what happens? And we're going to talk about three things today that happens after you forgive initially and turn off the, re the replay of the hurtful scenario in your mind. So the next thing that you have to do, and it's letter A or number one in your notes, it's the first one, <clears throat> is forgive again. Forgive again. Like, well, Matt, it's, you, the first week was about forgiveness. Uh, now you're telling me I'm going to have to, why are you repeating it again? Because you are going to have to forgive again. There is no scenario that I know of where someone has forgiven and then never have to, have to confront the scenario and let it go again. You are going to have to repeat the act of forgiveness until it becomes something that you do, almost like a muscle that you flex, and you get strong in the area of forgiveness. You're not going to be able to just say, I laid it down and I get to walk away from it. You're going to have to forgive again, and then you're going to have to forgive again, and you're going to have to forgive again. Why? Because um, you still might drive by their house on the way to work. You still might pass the sign of the church that you got frustrated with when you're going to the store. You might run into somebody that you know. You might run into that person again. And whatever the trigger is, Ryan talked about those triggers last week, but whatever that trigger is, there's going to be something in you that goes, whoop. I said I forgave. I said I was over it. I said I let it go. But when I saw this, or I drove by this, or I heard this, all of a sudden, that tension happens again. And it's almost like that trauma is relived right there. And at that point right there, you got to forgive again. You got to let it go again. What you're going to find is the more times you're confronted with that, the situation that needs to be forgiven, you're going to find that it becomes easier to let it go. It doesn't derail you for a week. It doesn't wreck your day. It doesn't keep you up all night anymore. It might be an hour and you let it go. And that is evidence that you're healing. That is evidence that you are letting it go again. It's evidence that the, by, by releasing it over and over and over again, when you're confronted with the situation, you may not even be playing it in your mind. You might just have a moment where you're sitting there and going, why did that even happen? 
It just hurt. I didn't deserve that. You may not even have to replay the whole scenario. You may just land right at the hurt one more time. And at that point, you forgive again. Jesus knew, go figure, he made us, but he knew we were going to face scenarios like this. And in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Peter comes up with this idea. Now, Peter's the loudmouth of the group. He's like the spokesman. If you're in a group and you're the quiet person, you know who the loud person is. You know what I mean? They're always talking, mouse always running. That's Peter. <clears throat> and Peter steps forward and thinks that he has a really novel idea. Don't point. <laughs> some of you are like, I know exactly who that is. You're pointing at somebody in your family or somebody that you know is a friend. Um, but um, uh, he says this. Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now let's stop right there. If I'm asking Jesus a question, I would end with the question. But Peter being the loudmouth, the big spokesman, he decides to answer his own question as if to show, look how good and noble I am. He doesn't end there. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? You know, seven, the days in the week and the number of days of creation and the seven's the number of the Lord of perfection. Yes, seven. Like not just, I can forgive, but not just forgive once, but I'll do it seven times. He thinks he's presented something that is just ab abundant. And then Jesus or, uh, replies to him, no, not seven times, Jesus said, but 70 times seven. Now, this is the point where we have to remember that not every single line of, of the Bible is literal. Here's what I mean. 70 times seven, for all you math whizzes in the room, is how much? 490, 490 right? He's not instructing you to keep a mental or physical tabulation of someone's offenses against you. And the closer they get to 500, the more you're allowed to be like, ah, oh, 491, dude, and it's over. My vengeance can come out. My wrath can come out. I get to take it into my own hands at 491. No. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrong. So he's told him, hey, this is not him telling him, oh, 490 times, dude. He's going, no, you thought you brought a good number? You thought you were announcing how great and, and, and that you were about this forgiveness thing and letting offenses go? You thought you were standing up and saying something. But I'm telling you that the act of forgiveness has to be repeated again and again and again until it becomes a virtue in you. It can't just be a tool. It's got to become a virtue. When someone wounds you, you got to forgive them. And he knows darn well that's coming up in their mind, that's coming up in their heart. The scenario is going to be faced um, in some way, shape, or form. There's going to be a trigger point again and he's saying you're gonna have to get used to perpetually forgiving let it go let it go let it go not the frozen movie but the idea of it becoming a virtue let it go forgive again matt they didn't deserve to be forgiven the first time understood there was a woman who 
who came to um, a king. I heard a story about one who came to a king in the medieval times. And she asked um, for her son who was going to be executed. She asked for mercy for her son. And the king told her, what your son has done doesn't deserve mercy. And she replied to him, king, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. When you add mercy to your forgiveness, it becomes a virtue because you are giving it to someone who probably on the outside and you can write your list and formulate a case and we can go like lawyer style. Accusation and defendant. Prosecuting attorney, defending attorney. And we can lay out a case and see, do they deserve it? And you may be able to win your case. But God doesn't care about you winning your case. He cares about it becoming a virtue. Forgive again. Second thing. <clears throat> pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, this is one of those points where I go, it sounds super churchy. You know what I mean? Like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Some people, you know, when I was growing up in church, people would be like, oh, I'm struggling with, you know, X, Y, or Z, and be like, oh, just pray about it, brother. Or people would be like, I'm having a financial problem in my life. Well, just believe a little bit harder. Or I'm struggling with this. Oh, just pray about it. Uh, what do I do when I, I can't control my thoughts? Just take it to the Lord in prayer. So it was almost like this generic saying that they would lay out in front of me all the time. I was like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? So when I say, oh, pray for those who hurt you, it sounds like the good little churchy Christian thing to do. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I'll pray for them. Yeah, right. That's not happening. Pray for them who hurt me. But this idea is not mine. Let's go back to the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 27 through 36. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Let's just stop right here just for a second. Just for a second. Let's pause right here. It's very easy when we read the Bible to glance over parts of a sentence um, that would get us to the point of love your enemies. But I want you to look at those first eight words. But to you who are willing to listen. One of the reasons that we don't browbeat people here to, you better make sure you come to church. Don't you miss more than one Sunday during a quarter or whatever. Make sure that you're here all the time. Make sure that you're, you're always showing up. The reason we don't browbeat people here is uh, several reasons, but this is one of them. You are not going to grow. You are not going to be a disciple of Christ if there is not a willingness in your heart to do something out of your normal routine and go after him. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to listen, if you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to consider that you might be wrong, if you're not willing to let the offense go, if you're not willing, if there's not a willingness in you to run after God, there will be absolutely no change. And God has given you the ability to choose. Am I going to do this or am I not? Am I willing to pursue and submit myself to him and his word? 
or am I unwilling? Am I going to stay where I'm at? He is looking at people, not who are just unbelievers. He's looking at his followers and saying, he didn't say, everybody listen up and do what I say. I find it very intriguing that he starts. For all you guys who are here who are willing to listen, there's a willingness in your heart to change, not just to follow me around and watch me heal people and, and raise people from the dead and bless the food and feed the 5,000 and be like, oh my gosh, like a magic trick. But for those of you who are willing to hear what I'm saying and to listen and to change, this is my instruction for you. If you're going to heal and if you're going to forgive, you're going to have to be willing. You're going to have to be willing to take a different path. You're going to have to be willing to, to have all the people who think that you should go down there and show them once and for all that they can't do that to you because ain't nobody treat me that way. You want to go up and act a fool or egg their house? That might be fun. But I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but like you want to do something dumb like that and take it out on you and just so you can start getting some of that aggression out of you. Are you willing to look like the person who is, what are you, weak? Because you won't take vengeance or revenge? Are you soft? You're not going to check that fool? You're not going to like step up to them? You're not going to go back and say the thing that needs to be said to them? Uh, not until I forgive. Why? Because I'm not in the position. I'm bleeding. I got to heal before I can speak. For those of you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek as well. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do unto you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners, excuse me, <clears throat> even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will live, uh, lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate couple things I want to draw our attention to in this passage I didn't realize until I got into my study. When he says here, give to anyone who asks, when things are, you know, um, taken away from you, don't try to get them back. <clears throat> um, before that, he even says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. See, earlier in the verse when he says, love your enemies, you can have enemies that are afar off especially in our culture, right? Everybody is grouped into people groups. 
And if I think that you're part of this group or that group or this belief system or that belief system, I can start shouting at you, you know, not even knowing you and saying all this kind of stuff about you. And when there is wounds that happen to you from people you don't know, it doesn't hurt as bad. I'm not saying it does not hurt, but it doesn't hurt as bad. Why? Because you're like, eh, I don't really know them. Who cares what they think? Bless those who curse you. You can be cursed from a distance. You can be hated from a distance. But when he says somebody slaps you, no one can slap me from across the street. Right? I'm not going to be able to reach. Slapping somebody implies they're in close proximity to you. Those are the worst, aren't they? The worst wounds happen in close proximity. The people you are close in their relationship who are close enough. You kept everybody at a distance for a while, but that person who got close, that was the one who caused the wound. And I think that's implied here. Not just the guy who slaps you. I'm just giving you an example. There's people at a distance and there's people who are close to you. And if those ones who are close to you hurt you and cause you a wound, he's saying even those guys, the ones that it hurt a little bit more than if it were somebody else, you have to pray for them. He also says down here that um, <clears throat> as a perfect example, here's what Jesus did. He was kind to those who were unthankful and wicked. For me, that kind of ended my argument about, yeah, they don't deserve to be forgiven. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was forgiving to people who were unthankful and wicked. At that point, I lost all moral high ground. When I said, yeah, but what, look at what they did to me. If you can pray for the ones who hurt you, it is not just you doing the good Christian thing. It is evidence that you're healing because your perspective's changing. When Nina and I went through a brutal wound, someone we were insanely close to in the ministry, it took us a long time to even say the name that was a win for us took us far too long because i kept the wound open i was terrible at that i kept it open but after i went through this process of forgiveness and forgive again and over and over again and, and stop demanding that what I want to happen to them as as um, compensation for how they wounded me happen when I let that go a realization hit me. If that person is sowing those kind of seeds in other relationships, they are digging a giant hole for themselves. And if I'm not retaliating, I'm taking them off my hook with forgiveness and putting them on God's hook for, for forgiveness. I, and they continue to hurt other people and they continue to treat people this way, especially God's kids, they are in a far greater danger than if I got my hands on them. 
suddenly as I began to heal, I began to realize, wait a minute, there is something off with this person and their relationship with God. I wonder if this is the thing that I've experienced. Is there something else that's off with them? Oh my gosh, forget about being upset with me. Forget about reconciling with me. Forget about reconciling with people. You are at risk of a judgment of a of God taking up the offense for his children. That's going to be far worse. And when I feared for them, when I feared for them, not for how it would be, you know, uh, that they would get off the hook and they would just get away with it scot-free. No, I feared that what they were sowing, they were really going to reap. And I realized at that moment there was a great healing happening in me because me and Nina held hands and said, God, I pray that they would make it right with you. Because being at odds with me, nothing. We could probably not see each other again. Being at odds with him, there's, only, there's enough grace to get you out of the scenario where you're in but he's not going to wait forever. He's going to call the he's going to call the note due. And that as we pray for them should make us unbelievably grateful that he was patient with us. Cuz forget the wound for a second. Think about all the jacked up wrong stuff that you said, that I said, all the lies, all the vitriol, all the, the manipulation, all the things that I bent to make it sound like I was looking good and that somebody else looked bad and how many times did I justify it and, and bend the truth to try, to try to make it be like I was the one that did good when I was actually the one that did wrong. Thank God he did not call me on that because it would have wrecked me. It would have destroyed a lot of things in my life. And that level of grace that we're grateful that he didn't call me out on it publicly like he had the right to, that's what I'm extending to other people when I pray for them. God, I'm asking that you deal with them privately, but I pray that they repent. I pray that they get it right with you, not even with me. God, for, take me out of the picture. I don't even want them to do it anymore. God, I pray that they get their life right with you because there's something else down the road that they're going to have to encounter. Because they're treating people like this. I don't know they're really connected to you. And that worries me more than am I going to feel better when I see them get theirs. That becomes really small. And when I can pray for them, it's evidence that there's healing going on, but it also shows my perspective is different. I'm taking my mind and putting it to what the scripture says and do it instead of doing what I want to do. Pray for those who hurt you. <clears throat> the last thing on our notes here is create boundaries. Create boundaries. There is an author. He's a pretty famous dude in the Christian world. You may have heard of him before. His name's Henry Cloud. Um, he's actually an author of a book called Boundaries, several, more than 20 years old, I think, at this point. Um, but I want to read what how he defines a boundary, because you're like, what do you mean create boundaries? 
But I'm, what I mean is creating a boundary in some of your relationships. You put a, a wall, I'm only going to allow this level of relationship to happen. He explains it very well. Let me read it to you. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I'm free to do with it what I like. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I do not own my life, my choices and options become very limited. <clears throat> Let me paint a, a quick visual picture here for you about what this boundary really means. If you are just here at the middle, like think of yourself as a real tight circle right in the middle. And then I drew this giant circle around you. Everybody who's on the outside of that circle are the people that you don't know. You don't necessarily want any specific harm to happen to them, but if it did, you wouldn't even know, right? There's a general concern for those people, but outside of this big old area, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, hundreds and thousands of people that pass away every day. I don't know anybody who died today. You know, my heart breaks for them, but I don't know them, right? So they're outsiders on the outside of that circle, people that are unknown. If I drew, uh, drew another circle a little bit closer, that and the people in that circle would be your acquaintances. Bob from accounting, who you give a high five to every time you see him, you know, when, when payday comes or something. Sue from HR, who you never really talk to because you didn't really get in any trouble or whatever <clears throat> um, at your job. Or just acquaintance people who you're like, hey, man, how are you? Good. Good to see you, bro. That kind of thing. That's acquaintances. And then if we take another circle and draw it a little bit tighter in, people that get that close to you, there's all these people out here that you don't know, next level in closer are these acquaintances, next level in are your friends. These are people who you might not have a fear to talk about some things with, religion, politics, Disagreements maybe about stuff like that. They're not going to jump stupid or you may not even talk about anything like that. You just might hang out because you enjoy their company. Those are the people who are in that circle that's a little bit closer to you of your friends. If you draw that circle in a little bit tighter towards you, that's your, your, your really good friends, the people who you call when the chips are down. You call when you, when you need um, when you need something. These are the people that you call when... Uh, you need to move. Like, oh man, I could call some people, but I can't go too far outside that circle because they're going to be like, a new phone, who this, right? Like if you go too far out on the circle. These are people you call when you move or you, you need a ride to work because your car broke down or something like that. And then you got those next level of life friends that are a little bit tighter where you cried together. You went to their wedding. You went to the funeral of their family. You went and you, and you understand each other and you talk to each other. Every time you get together, it's like there's this life that kind of comes out of you. And then it gets tighter in that circle to where it's your most trusted people. Typically, if you're married, like a spouse, a, a super good confident, a confidant. Sometimes your kids are in that area. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they're in that area, you know. 
<clears throat> and what he's saying is, when you talk about boundaries, every different person, every different relationship can have a different boundary. And you can move the boundaries. The wounds happen, the deep wounds happen because people who are in closer cause pain. I thought I could trust this person. I thought I could lean on them. I thought I could rely on them. I thought that I could um, come to them in a time of need, but they proved me wrong. And so you can move that boundary with that person outside of that inner court of friends just to like an outside friend. You have the ability to draw those boundaries and create distance. Why? Because a boundary says where I end and you begin. I am ending this relationship at this level of closeness. I'm not letting you come any closer because I haven't experienced a wound. I've experienced some type of pain. I've experienced some type of, type of relational pressure or relational discomfort. And I am not going to let you, I, I, I made the mistake, I let you close. But now you've proven to me I can't, you're not trustworthy. I'm going to back you out a little bit and create distance until we can reconcile this. You have the ability to create a boundary. When we talk about things like forgiveness and praying for somebody, and, and the scripture we read earlier about like doing good to those who hurt you, this doesn't mean that you run back in and get in a tight, close relationship with them. Matt, that person help, uh, hurt me really bad. Does this mean that to prove to God and myself and everybody else that I'm healed, that I got to take of the lunch at Chili's? No. Why? Because you're going to sit across that table if you're not healed and you might have ordered a fajita, but you want to take one of them tortillas and play that tortilla slap game with them, right? Like, let me see if you could, are going to laugh after I hit you with this thing as hard as I can. <laughs> yeah, he's my, he, myself, and, I'm, and you're thinking about it. And they're like, hey, are you okay? Oh, and you kind of snap back to reality, right? You don't have to get back into a trusting, intimate, close level relationship if someone hurts you you can create a boundary. You don't have to, forgiveness doesn't mean that we're all good. I forgot what you did. I trusted you and now I'm going to trust you again. No, that does not what that means. That means you have to heal and then wisdom is to say, I'm going to put the barrier between me and you at a large distance. Doesn't mean I hate you. Doesn't mean I don't want things to happen. I got to create some space here. I got to create a boundary here because it's unwise for me to do that. The problem is most people think they're being wise by keeping the wound open. They think that's smart. It is not smart. That is fleshly wisdom. And you're not supposed to be acting on your thoughts because his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His, thight, his ways are higher than your ways. You're supposed to be acting how he has led you to respond. But he's given you the ability to create a boundary. 
Not rush back in and be all boys and, and we're tight and we're friends and we're BFF. No, 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 no. We're going to keep a distance. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, the first two, there's a bunch of verses for those. And this sounds kind of more like a little uh, like good advice or help, you know, from a psychology person who you read his book. Um, but you don't come here for that. You come here for what God's word says because it is the thing that will bring change. And what I found is there are a ton of verses talking about this. They don't say the word boundaries because it's kind of a more modern terminology and phrase that we've kind of come up with in a, in a modern society. But look about, I'm going to read these five small passages for you quickly and I want to show you what he says here in scripture that would um, paint a similar picture as the boundaries. Ready? Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You get to choose how close or how far someone is in their proximity of relationship to you. He's telling you, the wisest man to ever walk the, the earth, not named Jesus, is saying to you, the wise thing to do is what? Choose your friends. Choose how close you let them. Choose how intimately you are involved in this relationship. Because there's a, there's a different way. You're going to let somebody who's wicked and this close is going to lead you astray. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Again, you can choose to make a wise choice and walk with those people who are wise, or you can choose to walk with fools. You get to determine who's tight in this circle with you. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who's easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. In our boundary scenario that we just painted, uh, let me put it in that context. Don't let these hot-headed people who are like, you gonna let them talk to you that way? You're not gonna come back at them? Those people that hurt you, do not let those guys close into your circle. Don't let them have a lot of influence. Don't bring them in tight relationship with them. Do not associate with people who are easily angered or you might learn their ways and be led astray. Do you see the stark contrast that God is painting through his word of how we as his children are supposed to respond and how the world wants to respond? He's given you the ability to choose the level of friendship you have. Now, <clears throat> we're going to talk more about this next week before the series ends. And it'll probably end next week. But here's where many of us, especially inside the church, got into trouble. Let's go back to our example. Big old circle, all the people we don't know little bit tighter circle, all the people that were our acquaintances, all the people a little bit closer, our friends. 
we walked into a church building and thought, oh, all of these Jesus people here need to pass these first three or four levels, and I'm just going to bring them all in real tight, real quick. Why? They're church folks, man. You're reading the Bible. You love Jesus. You're not cussing, smoking, chewing, running around with those that do or whatever the saying was. You're trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. We're all trying to be good together. Let's be good together and be good to each other. And we allow them to come in closer just because they come to church. And you might go, Matt, that's kind of cynical. Uh, no, it's uh, biblical. To be careful of that. 1 Corinthians 5.11. This is Paul talking to a church, church people. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, believer, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. He's saying that even though there's people in the church or church people, they are still people and you get to choose at what level you integrate with them, at what level you bring them close. Now, if you walk in and you're like, everybody's on the outs, you might be bleeding. I've trusted these other church people and I'm coming here because I'm supposed to come to church, but I ain't trusting none of y'all again, you're probably still bleeding. But on the other end of that coin, we shouldn't just be running in and being like, church people, they get to bypass all these hurdles and bring them in really tight, really quick. And what happens? It all blows up and you're wounded and like, wait, what just happened? And people be like, man, forget this church thing. You're like everybody else. Yes, there are some of these people that are growing just like everybody else. They will hurt you just like everybody else because everybody's at a different phase of their walk and journey with the Lord. It does not mean because they're church people that we got to for, uh, forget ever darkening the door of a church again because all y'all are alike. All of y'all ain't never alike. Here's Paul saying, hey, if you got people who are in I got an amen from the littlest one. Thank you, Elijah. <clears throat> you can come back anytime, dude. Um, we'll be charismatic before the service is over. Um, yes, um, I need an organ. Um, but he's saying if there's people inside the church that are acting crazy, you got to create a boundary between them. If someone's in the church and they're openly sexually immoral or greedy, always looking for a way to compromise whatever relationship, or uh, this is, oh man, I hope this was never any of y'all. Um, uh, people who, I've seen business people who would pick the largest church in an area and go and join there for a minimum of 18 months so they could see how many customers they could get out of the building. They printed new cards with a little Jesus fish on it to hand it out to people. I watched them do it. Told me, they, I heard them talking to their friends about their strategy one day about, I came here because I think there'd be a lot of people who I can do good business with. Those people create a boundary. An idolater, someone who worships something other than God, submits to something other than God. Someone who's talking garbage, slander, 
I'll loop in gossip into that boundary. A drunkard or a swindler, somebody who is always shifty and looking out for their own interest, and they'll sell you up the road in just in, in a heartbeat of a second. That doesn't mean they can't come to a gathering anymore. It just means that you got a boundary between you and them. Paul is saying, some people in the church are going to claim to be one of you, and they're not going to act like one of you, so create a barrier, a, a, a boundary until they grow. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. <clears throat> All of these are scriptural, are scriptures that are painting the same picture of our modern vocabulary. Create a boundary. Are you going to eventually have to take a risk if you want a real relationship, yep, it's going to be hard. If you ever lost a friend or had to change churches after you were deeply involved and it, something went sideways, or I've heard all kinds of stories. Friendships, relationships, marriages, you know, these things dissolve, I'm going to start again. There's always a risk to any of it. The only way you're going to be able to take that risk. But if you're stopping bleeding, because if you're hell-bent on keeping that wound open, you're never going to move. You're never going to move. I wrote a statement that, that, um, on here that I called personal reflection. <clears throat> I'm laying it out for everybody that's here. Getting hurt was out of my control, but healing is my responsibility. If the hurt that you think of a lot when we're talking about these messages or that comes up to your heart or to your mind, if that wound, my guess is that particular wound or series of wounds happened with someone in close proximity, someone close to the middle of the circle. The situation that happened might probably that that leaves the worst mark or people that you brought in really tight, you trusted, you leaned on, you brought close. What they did to you was undeserved. But it's not their job to come and heal your wound. It's your responsibility. Matt, that's not fair. And I would say, you're right. But welcome to real life. The idea when you're a kid and you had this, everything is a wonder, like my, my little nephew Troy, like he's seven and everything is like, Oh, how big is the sun? How far is it away from the earth? How many miles is that? Like, you know, we're asking Siri questions, you know. 
<clears throat> and 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 you know he's like just his mind's blown at everything and you think like from that perspective there's this innocence and this and this desire for the world to be great and people love you and feed you and clothe you and make sure you get to school on time it's all great right and that euphoric idea of how the world is eventually will run into the wall and a lot of people start at that point and go Oh, all of this was a lie. Your first word. Everybody in here either has had or currently has a wound that's bleeding. Guaranteed. And the sad reality, the hard reality is I am, I'm so sorry if somebody hurt you. They shouldn't have done that. You didn't deserve it. But you are now left with the responsibility of I'm going to keep this wound open or I'm going to do the work of healing. Because if you don't forgive, if you don't stop playing the reruns, if you continue to rehearse the talk, if I see them, this is what I'm about to say. And if they say this, I'm going to say this. And if they're with this person, I'm going to say this to that person first and then this to this person. And I'm going to dig so much deeper than they ever thought about trying to get me because I know the dirt on you, bro. I talked to her. I know what you really did. I'm going to bring it all out. Or I'm going to follow what my Savior says and do the hard work of going, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive again. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to create a boundary and I'm going to take responsibility in my own life and say it's time for me to do the work to heal. Because if you don't do the work, you're going to bleed forever. Allowing hurt to dictate your action means you remain in control of the one who caused the wound. Maybe not fully, but they still have an influence in you. If you're afraid to trust because your trust was broken, that person who caused the wound, it's almost like there's a little puppet glove in the back of you somewhere that they're still controlling some of your actions. If you're afraid to commit in a relationship because of them, it's their, their work is at play in your life. So, stop letting somebody else dictate your response, your level of happiness, your joy, and more importantly, your obedience to your Savior. Cut the tie through forgiveness. Forgive again.
pray that they make it right with their Savior and that they have time to do it. Create a boundary and heal. Because once you heal, there's a freedom waiting for you that you haven't experienced either in a long time or ever that will catapult you forward into, oh, I can do so much more with the Lord. There's so much more ahead of me. Because as long as you're bleeding, you're staying still. You've already maxed out how much you can move with the wound that you have. It's time to heal.